So we're in a, a journey through Acts, the beginning of Acts. Some of my favorite portions of the Bible, but I say that all the time, which is, a, I think, a good thing. Lots of favorites. And I've been going through, really, uh, what happens is after Easter, we kind of go through the whole lead up to Easter and Jesus dying on a cross, uh, as we say so well, because we know it so well, Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And uh, then he rises from the dead and he appears to people for over six weeks to over 500 people saying, I am alive, death has not killed me. And uh, Satan is defeated, evil, the source of evil is defeated. Now step into your inheritance. He pours out his spirit, which is the same spirit. He said, you can now have, I mean, I wish you could sort of turn inside out. He said, you know that all those things I did and, the, you know, the way that I, I, I I expressed love and joy and peace and patience and then I healed people and I just went, be healed and I multiplied. He said, all that stuff in me you can have. You what? Well, he said, it's called the Holy Spirit. I couldn't have done it without the Holy Spirit. I told you that. I said, apart from the Father, I can do nothing and the Father releases the Spirit and the Spirit works in me and everything I did, because now I'm Jesus in human form, everything I did, you can do because I didn't do anything on earth that no other human being could do in other words, the capacity of what I did is limited to the capacity of an individual. Are you following me? Jesus didn't do anything that other, another human being could do filled with God's Spirit. So Jesus uh, didn't do anything that nobody else could do filled with God's Spirit. He didn't, when God became human, when God became a human form, um, Jesus didn't, some people think, oh, Jesus knew everything. No, he didn't. He had the capacity to know the same as we have. Filled with God's Spirit, he began to hear God in different ways. But everything Jesus did, we have the ability or potential to do the same. Filled with God's Spirit. And so Pentecost was when the Holy Spirit, he told his disciples, he said to them, you've been with me for four, three and a half years almost. Um, we've gone through all kinds of battles. You've got very discouraged. You've had been very encouraged. You've been through all kinds of things. You've seen a lot of me in the show and tells that we've done. Now it's your turn. I'm relying on you. But I'm, re I'm not really relying on you like you're going to copycat me. I'm relying on you in that I've shown you how it works. Now receive the same spirit and go and do it in my name. And that was like people receiving something. Oh, my word. It's like giving a child electricity. He's going to do a lot of damage. And that has been what's happened in many ways. Lots of damage, lots of good things. And what I want to talk about today is how that works. I mean, how many of you go around saying, well, I'm not really spiritual and I never hear God. And, you know, it's easy for him or for her. And it's just so cool for Wayne and Tish, but never for me. And we discount ourselves or we, we have this fantasy that knowing God and following God and walking with God is, is somehow out of our reach. And we all do our best. We'll turn up at church and we'll give to the poor. We might even give to the de Jong's thing. But beyond that, you know. And if God really wants me to give to the de Jong's, then he'll knock on my door and look like a midget and then I'll know he's leading me. And we create all these massive, massive sort of conditions for God. And, and God is kind of probably sitting next to us saying, I'm right with you. And it's really not that complicated. And I've got bad news for you today because what I'm going to talk to you about and what I want to share with you 
is so easy. And it's so easy that it rips out of our hands every excuse. It's so easy, it rips out of us everything that says, but I can't. You see, the seduction of evil, the battle of evil that still goes on is trying to negate the gifts that God has given. And it tries to twist it so that it becomes a negative instead of a positive. If I can persuade you that what you have in you is going to be destructive or is is something else, then you won't use it against me. That's basically Satan's tactic. And so after Pentecost, there's this battle. And the battle is not that God would give out more. The battle is that his people would actually know how to handle what they'd been entrusted with. So we're in Acts 2. And you have the, the presence of God poured out. You have the empty tomb. It's open. Why is it open? So that we can go in and he can come out? No, he, he doesn't need it to come out. It's, an, it's a symbol of open heaven. It's an, a symbol of um, up until that time every tomb was closed. The heavens weren't open in the same way. And what we mean by open heaven, Jesus had given that vision of you'll see angels right, uh, going up and down on a ladder between heaven and earth. What, what was opened in Jesus' life and his death and resurrection was access to God and God being able to speak to us again like in Eden. Sin was dealt with. Sin, the barrier of sin, was dealt with. God touched humans' hearts. There's somebody I read this week that said, um, God doesn't speak to your mind. Why would he speak to the most difficult part of you? He speaks to your heart. I think that's true. Many, many times you try and speak to somebody's head or... And it just, you never get anywhere because it's, it's made up or attitudes are there or thought processes are there and you just cannot get behind the, 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 the thought process or lack thereof. And God always speaks to the heart. And he says, God doesn't speak to you. He speaks from within you. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Spirit takes things and makes them real in our hearts. That's why you have to listen to your heart. There are lots of people who live from their heads up. There are lots of people who live from the outside in. But the heart is where God actually begins to work. And out of the overflow of your heart, what happens? Your mind changes. That's why identity is so important. Without the presence of God in our hearts, we think we still have to earn his acceptance. Without the presence of God in our hearts, we still think we have to have behavior modifications in order to become what he wants us to become. And we all know that religion doesn't work because that's what religion does. And we all are quite religious. And so so, so after Pentecost, there's the, the Spirit is poured out and who gets to talk first? It's Peter. And Peter is the one who has demonstrated so profoundly how stupid and how impulsive and how arrogant he is. And we all are incredibly comforted by Peter. We're incredibly comforted by the Simon Peter who says, yes, I will. No, I won't. The rooster crows. Oh, I'm done. Let's go fishing. We're, we're, Jesus, I'll never leave you. I, I'm your man. And a girl says, didn't you know Jesus? No, I don't. And he, he, he just totally is us. Kind of bold when I don't need to be bold. When, I d- when talk will do, then he's good. But when action is needed, he runs. How many of you are like that? How many of you stand with me like that is what I'm meaning. I'm great on resolution. I'm great about saying, what about tomorrow? I'll do it. I'm great about saying, yes, Lord, send him. Here I am, send him or her. All that stuff. Always sidestepping. Always pushing away. Always excusing. Always saying, but tomorrow. And even trying to look quite spiritual doing it. And so 
after the Holy Spirit has come upon these disciples and, and they speak in tongues, and I'm not, we're not going down that rabbit trail today, um, and, they, and they manifest the presence of God, what happens? Peter begins to, he stands up and he explains what is happening. Peter, suddenly what has been deposited in him kind of makes sense in him and he speaks out and for the first time in his life he has this wisdom in him and this authority in him and this eloquence where he says this is that and this is rooted in the scriptures and he becomes a Bible teacher and and he just makes sense and after he's finished speaking 3,000 people say Peter what do we have to do? He says repent be baptized and you'll be filled with the spirit you can have what I've got took me three and a half years you better suffer a little bit before you get it no because of what Jesus has done you can have it now and 3,000 were baptized we talked a bit about that last week and God touched people from the inside out and that's when wh- that's when something revolutionary began when God began to live in human beings and began to say I am now alive in you so that's cool. 3,000 people turned up. They got baptized. They were all perfectly little Jesuses. And they went around healing the sick. Rubbish. How many of us are looking for magic? How many of us want you want to come up here? We'll have an opportunity for ministry, but you'll come up here after the service and please pray for me. Jesus, I pray for this and that and the other thing. And then you walk out and say, well, that, that didn't work. Nothing changed. And we're looking for magic. So this is the good news and the bad news. All kinds of things happen. we just got to walk them out. Let me show you. Do not be discouraged. See, Peter had, you remember when Jesus first called Peter? He had a prophetic word. What was the prophetic word? On the shore of Galilee, I mean, Peter had no reference point. Simon was his name at that point. He had no reference point for God other than the synagogue. And the synagogue in, in Capernaum is, is small. It's not very big at all. It's about the size of the office and my office combined. And, and Peter's reference point for God was the religion he knew. And then this guy speaks and, and his heart quickens and he says, can I use your boat? And he goes, oh shoot, now I'm in the middle of something I wasn't even asking to be in. And he's asked to do something totally counterintuitive. If, you, if you're trying to work things out with God, don't be surprised if things don't make sense. Go and fish. Let's go and fish. You're a carpenter from Nazareth. It's the middle of the morning. We're just washing our nets. We've been, we're experienced and we've actually fished all night and we've caught nothing and you want us in front of everybody to go out a little ways and catch fish. Give me a break. How many times do you speak to God like that because it doesn't make sense? I've tried that. And then Peter, I think, gets, he's had quite a few looks from Jesus. He might write a book about that, looks from Jesus. And I think Jesus looked at him and he said, uh, whatever you want, but for you I will. And I think Jesus smiled a lot more than the movies show him, you know, this mystical sort of effeminate man doing all these things. I think Jesus was probably quite bulked up. He had been a carpenter for a long time. And he might have just done this and Peter said, ooh. <laughs> so who knows? Anyway, they went out, throw the nets over and they filled. Well, Peter was never the same. If a carpenter can, can, can catch fish in the shallows of Galilee in the morning, he's got my attention. And he falls at Jesus' feet and says, forgive me. You know, he, everything blurts out. I'm a sinful man. Leave me. Go away. And all the rest of it. And Peter, Jesus just says, Simon Peter, you will be a fisher of men. And it took three and a half years before that began to kick in. A lot of suffering, a lot of pain, a lot of process. I just want to encourage you. There, there are prophetic words of everybody here. Some of us haven't heard them yet. 
But I'll give you a prophetic word right now. You are much loved son and daughter of the King of Kings. That you are uh, totally set free to walk into the life that he has for you. The missing link is that you're a wax candle instead of an electric power source. And all that, all you need to, all that needs to change that you, you click into the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. But even when that's all been released and God says, you are never going to fulfill what I have for you in your own strength. I mean, you can have a prophetic word of you and it'll never come true because it's not fortune telling. It's actually God speaking what he sees over you and who you are. And he says, this is what you can become with me in you. And many of us go around and say, well, this hasn't worked. I had this thing, it doesn't work. And you go, well, Paul had a prophetic word over him that he was going to go and reach out to the Gentiles. And 14 years later, he began that. The people of, uh, who were set free out of, uh, out of Egypt were given a prophetic word that they would take the promised land and they would live in a place of milk and honey. The one generation who had been parents wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They never entered into, they believed in God, they just didn't believe God. And so they wandered in the wilderness and for 40 years they died not getting their inheritance because they didn't believe. The word was spoken over them, wasn't released through them because they didn't walk in it. There is no magic with God. There is power and presence and invitation, but there's no magic. Because the most attractive thing about Jesus when he called Peter was, I call you to follow me. He didn't say, memorize all these things and all these rules and then you'll be good enough and then you can follow me. He said, follow me. And what he said was, in a sense, if you keep relationship with me, you'll change the world. We will change the world. But notice something else that Jesus said was, Peter said, follow me. And then lo and behold, there were suddenly 12. And then there were probably about 100 who tagged around as the disciples of Jesus. And Simon Peter could have gone, but it's just you and me, isn't it? He said, well, it's you and me and them. Why them? Because them is how you are going to become like me. I don't like them. I mean, they're all right for a minute or two or maybe on a Sunday morning. Maybe we can just meet on the Sabbath for an hour and then you and me. I don't want them. I just want you, Jesus, you and me. We have sweet time. But when Jesus met with Simon Peter, very often he was evaluating what Simon Peter was doing with them. Why did you deny me among them? Why did you do that? Why didn't you do that? Good news and bad news. The good news, I've given you all things. Here's my spirit. Be filled. Bad news, every time you bump into them, it's going to leak. You're going to bump into yourself. You're going to bump into the part of you that isn't given to me yet. Well, Jesus, I thought you had a prophetic word. I have got a prophetic word over you. But what you have to learn is that you are going to die so that I can live in you. At the moment, I've got this prophetic word over you. My spirit is kind of sugarcoating you like like icing because I can't get in. There's so much of you there still. So as I said to John, uh, John the Baptist said, I have to die that you might live. Well, how do I die? Well, you'd kill whatever seems to be not helpful. Well, in theory, I'm actually quite nice. I know when you look in the mirror and you're on your own, you think you're quite cool. But as soon as you get in touch with pe- other people, something things rise up and you go, well, I don't want to go there. And you keep on coming back to me to pray. And you say, Lord, please get John out of my life. I could follow you if John didn't irritate me so much. And he wants to say to you, John is my gift to you. 
Tell the other person next to you, John, is my gift to you. Whether you like it or not. And he's a very special gift. He's one of my favorite gifts. I give him to you because I don't want him. (laughs) How many situations are you asking God to say, please get me out of this? Jesus, please stop the storm. Don't you realize we're afraid and you're sleeping in the darn boat? And he wakes up and says, what's your problem? If you don't learn to sleep in storms, you will never make an impact in this world. It's just like everybody else. Rub, rub, the, rub the Bible, rub the genie, rub the verse and say, Jesus, please take all my suffering away so I can glorify you with peace on earth and all my circumstances will be there and all my money will be here and my wife and my husband will be beautiful and my children will all behave and then we can glorify you, Jesus, and everybody will know that you are Lord. And he goes, that sounds so boring. It sounds so empty. It sounds so human. It sounds so of this world. I'll glorify myself when you as a father stand up and say, my daughter is barefoot and pregnant. She's gone through real suffering. I'll be glorified when you stand up and say, but I still love her. And I'm still her father. And I'll be glorified when your marriage is sucking and you don't know what to do. And you go for help and you say, I don't know what to do. Help. I'm going to be glorified when things that kill other people cause you to go, but gone. And by the way, when you go through that, you're going to be much nicer to the other people who are struggling. You won't be so quick to give them a platitude. You'll just walk alongside them and say, I know what that's like, but God. That's the Holy Spirit at work in you, empowering you to do what you couldn't do yourself. Jesus in Gethsemane, I don't want to die. The human part of me was real. I don't want to die. I don't want to hurt. But for your will, I will. Holy Spirit giving him courage to face something he detested. Why would he want to die for you and me? Who would? But Holy Spirit says to your brothers and sisters, they don't know it yet. He gives an extraordinary insight into other people. So the Holy Spirit is poured out in Pentecost and Peter stands up and he gives this amazing talk and 3,000 get baptized and then you go, so there's a 3,000 strong church. It's It's really amazing. And you go, well, it's in embryonic form. Let's uh, listen to what Peter says. You know, um, the part that you, I don't like is, uh, where's Peter? Uh, I've got it on my office wall and, I, and I, I, I really don't like this truth. It's called process. And everything in life actually works through the same principle. You want a child, you have a baby, it's processed. Pregnant, birth, pain, all kinds of stuff. Everything. You want, you want a big plant, you've got to plant the seed. It's how everything works. It's how the spiritual life works as well. And so Peter says in 1 Peter 3-9, to he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never spoil or fade. This is the mature Peter. And we would stop there and say, Hallelujah, Jesus, you made me your inheritance. You've given me everything. Hallelujah, I'm a new creation. And Peter probably just says, Excuse me a minute, not finished. You're quite noisy right now and irritating. Why? Because I know you. And when you're not standing here blabbing, 
which I'm not saying is wrong, from Monday to Friday, I'm not sure that these two are connecting. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be, re- be revealed in, these la- in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you might have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through re- though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, he's saying the process is often painful but necessary. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians, just to show you that I'm not making this up. It is good news tucked away in this book. 3.13 By the grace of God is given, I lay a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. You can do a lot of things on the name of Jesus, on the foundation of Jesus, that will be worthless and will be of your own making. And so, back to Acts, because this ultimately is good news, believe it or not. What happens? They all get baptized and then we read this part. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the disciples. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions. I wonder how many people would be in church if that was the rule, our bottom line. When you join Jericho Road, sell everything you have. Just saying. Every day they met together in the temple court. They broke bread in their homes and are together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, it's different for these guys because they lived 2,000 years ago and they didn't have families. They didn't need to eat. They didn't need to go to the washroom and they didn't have any needs. They would look to us and go, you know, if we had the resources they have at their... We, we could have done even more than that. They must have so much time. But with all the resources we have, all that ends up is more selfishness and more self-absorption and more greed and more I don't have time. Why is this passage in here? Because it's all about relationship and community. I was driving home on, it was Wednesday night, and listening to a documentary on the CBC about a study being done um, by a guy who had written a book, I can't remember, I think he's Yongi is his name, I'm not sure. Anyway, he had written this book about the fact that war, about community and people in community, and he said it's, it's astounding. He said that people miss war because of the community that it creates. They have a common fear. So somebody had said to him, uh, a woman in London said, I, I missed going down into the bomb shelters because the camaraderie and the people, uh, it, was, it was so powerful. He was totally surprised by this, but he said in times of war, when the towers fell in New York and other times when people are in it against adversity together, probably Fort McMurray, we come out of our independence and our self-absorption and we actually, the best part of us comes forward. This is in the not necessarily God-believing world, just the world. There's something in human beings that craves community and many, many have lost that. 
This is so simple. When you refine things, gold is refined under fire. Jesus said we'll all be salted by fire. The way that you get refined is through community. In other words, relationships with other people. I don't know about you, but people are really irritating. That's what I've discovered. And in churches, as a pastor, I can't fire them. I can't sort of, I could almost, but uh, you know, I'm stuck with you and you're stuck with me in many ways. And there's a part of that that's very good. Because if I have to write my script, I'll just write out the inconveniences while I'm concentrating on becoming so good. And God is saying it's those inconveniences that I'm using to actually refine you. It's those inconveniences that I'm exposing in you the things that are not as spiritually cool as you think they are. I mean, you talk about love and you talk about my power and you talk about my healing, but you're defeated by that person's attitude. You're so thin-skinned. You're so offended. So I'm going to teach you within the context of relational community how to become like me. And you're going to need my spirit because you're going to be at the end of your resources all the time. It's just how it works. And that's why these people, when they, they, if Jesus is, is God and he's risen from the dead and he's going to live in me, how is that going to look? They were hungry. So they got together and they came together and said, teach us, teach us, teach us. And then in, in the midst of that teaching, they broke bread together and then they, they found somebody had a need and they said, well, let's ask God to meet that need. They, they already solved that one. They said, no, we can meet that need. You need something? I can give you this. I can. After we've just seen a lot of the stuff that I invested in isn't worth very much. And in the process of the community and the relationships, transformation took place in people's lives and hearts. So my encouragement to you this morning is don't be so spiritual. And what I mean by that is pay attention to what God's doing in you and around you with the people who are part of your life right now. There is an answer to prayer that's going on for you right now. Make a decision to not whine anymore. Make a decision not to gossip about how terrible somebody is and start saying, Lord, what do you want me to be here for them? What are you wanting to grow in me so that actually I can become part of a solution? And what if actually half of what they are is not nearly as irritating as I think. It's just triggering things in me. If you want to grow in the following of Jesus, begin to pay attention to what's going on around you and and step into that and see what happens. If you learn to sleep in the boat through the storms, your life will be transformed. I think I'm done. Let me show you a video clip on the way out. This, is, this just illustrates that somebody was finding that their life was a little bit unreal. You've heard this before, but let's hear it from somebody else. There you go. Learning to be authentic, learning to be real. Let's stand and just uh, ask the Lord to... I guess that the first thing you talk to Jesus about is, do I, are you, I mean, this is not complicated. It's just about saying, Jesus, here I am. I don't necessarily know where to go, or I do know exactly what you're saying to me. But the bottom line is he's saying, I want you to be involved with people. And I want you to be let them be involved with you. As authentic people, as broken people, as 
uh, semi-healed people as people who are good, bad, and ugly. I want you to be a safe place for somebody else. I wanted you to be a place that somebody else could find comfort in, not because you have an answer. You don't need answers. We don't need answers for one another. We just actually need safe places. Often the, the answer isn't clear. But I know one thing, that God loves you. And I know one thing, that you're extraordinarily valuable. And I know one thing, that there are things in you that he is still working on. And so if I can walk alongside you while that's growing, and I encourage you to believe for what you don't yet see, let's do that. Maybe you need to ask God to forgive you for believing in magic or hoping for magic. That he will do things for you like some kind of waiter. So Holy Spirit, I just uh, ask you to minister to my brothers and sisters that you are faithful and that you are good. If you could take someone like Simon Peter and transform him until eventually he would stand in the marketplace and speak of you with eloquence and with power and he would walk up to somebody and he would say, silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus get up and walk. That's what I want for my life, Jesus. I want to know your presence and power and your compassion so that people can see you because I'm not in the way anymore. And so I ask you to weed me. I ask you to refine me. I ask you to do things in me that will give room for you to grow. And there's some parts of me that I really like because they've been defending me and comforting me for a long, long time. And the contemplation of them going is like losing my leg, even though it's messed up thinking. So I ask you to, I ask you to help me to want to change or be changed. See, Jesus melts everything. He doesn't just rip it out. He melts it until we just relinquish it. That's what's so cool about him. He doesn't deal with everything at once. You just say, what's the next thing, Lord? Listen to the Holy Spirit in your own heart right now. What's the next thing? And God always gives good gifts, so it's a good thing. Don't focus on what you're having to give up. Like if you, if you have real anger issues and you go, I've got to deal with this anger, the easiest way to deal with the anger is to give him your hurt and pain, but it's actually to say, Jesus, let's receive your peace. Receive the good thing. Focus on the good thing. And every time the negative comes up, receive the good thing. Remind yourself of it. And watch the, the negative thing begin to melt. Feed the one and starve the other is what we've been told in, in other cultures. So Father, we bless you for what you're releasing over us. We bless you. Let him speak to your heart. If your heart isn't open right now, then ask him to open your heart. If he's just talking to your head and you're just letting him talk to your head, nothing will change. But Father, we open our hearts to you. In our unbelief, in maybe our fears, we just say, Jesus, here I am. And Father, I continue to speak over Jericho Road that you will continue to build in this church an extraordinary community of people who are willing to be generous, patient, kind to one another as we grow together. And as you said in, the, in, in, in Acts, and many were added to their number because that community was extraordinarily attractive. And so I say on my behalf, Father, and I'm praying for you as well, Father, will you make me someone who is a builder of community, who is dependable, who actually serves in this community, 
who lays down my life, who's patient with those who don't do things exactly like I want them to do them. And I pray that you continue to work in me the things that you want to work out through me. Thank you, Holy Spirit.